0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or perhaps I should say, happy Godotay Sunday, you brood of vipers. (laughs) Well, John does, in fact, come out swinging in this one, does he not? (laughs) As we read those words of John the Baptist, he said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, right? Having just had a baptism last week, it would have seemed bizarre to have uh, processed back to the narthex as Sarah and the choir, uh, Sarah played and the choir sung us there. And there's Nehemiah with his godparents and family there. And, you know, all of a sudden, well, Nehemiah has come to be baptized, little brood of viper that he is, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the the happy occasion would have seemed a little sour. But yet here's John that people have heard about, and he's baptizing a ritual cleansing of people. And they've heard about it in different kinds of people. Uh, Have heard about it. We have tax collectors mentioned in the text tonight, and and soldiers, and then just lots of people whose profession we're not told about at all. But but people are hearing about John the Baptist, and they're going out to him, and he's again not mincing words. He's he's calling them what they are: sinful people in desperate need of cleansing. It's apocalyptic, if you will. It's it's a. it's, um, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come, right? So somehow by going out to John, they're, they're doing this thing that is, is good for them. It's going to help them to flee the wrath to come. Again, this, this uh, apocalyptic nature of, of John's words. As one commentator uh, wrote, quote, Such words are aimed at rededication, not at divorce or making distinctions among the elect people of God, They are Abraham's children and God's chosen by divine love and grace, not through legacy, ethnicity, or biology. John notes the power of God not only to create life, but to create a holy family as well. So these people who are coming to him are are people who are in the lineage of Abraham. They are God's chosen people. But John, again, names them for what it is, a brood of vipers, sinners. And so John is not interested in, in who your ancestors are. He's interested in what your reaction is to his offer of this baptism. Matter of fact, the text tells us that, that uh, John's willing to you know, lay the axe to the root of the trees. He doesn't, doesn't, again, he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care where you've come from. He's here to, to mix things up. And the people's response, right, isn't one of righteous indignation, or probably in my case, it would have been unrighteous indignation. Had I gone out to meet this man baptizing and he called me names, I probably would have had words with him and not necessarily good ones at that. But what do these groups of people do? Well, the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he says, well, if you have two tunics, you need to share it. And whoever has food, you need to also share it, right? So then the the tax collectors say, well, what shall we do? So he says to them, don't collect any more than you're authorized to do. So the soldiers then say, well, again, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Their response again isn't anger, it's not to attack John. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They they wonder if he's the Messiah because of what he's saying. They they wonder if he's not the anointed one of God. But they respond by asking, "What do we do?" Not, "What do we think?" right? But what do we do? They recognize immediately that what John is about is going to result in doing not just changing the way they think, but tangible actions, right? If you have a tunic, give it to someone who doesn't. If you have food, give it to someone who doesn't. If you're a tax collector, don't take more than you're supposed to. And if you're a soldier, don't extort people because you have power to threaten them. So John answers them, right, with good deeds. In other words, you need to do good deeds, and those good deeds will be evidence of your repentance. You want me to baptize you? This is a baptism of repentance. How do I know if you've repented? Not just because you showed up here, not just because your ancestors were the Jewish people, but instead because you do things that evidence your repentance. A word I kept running across in my studies this week about this text was conversion. It was thinking about the way in which this baptism of John and this expectation that they will do things as part of a conversion, right? It, that it's a, it's a time that will occur across perhaps their life. They, they're not just presenting themselves like, I figured it out, I think right now about something, baptize me. But instead, John will baptize them and send them back to do things, and that doing will be something that they evidence over the course of their life that they will continue to come back to and think about and maybe even wrestle with. See, you brood of vipers, doesn't matter who you are, or what do we do? Do good deeds. That will be evidence of your repentance, evidence of your conversion. And again, those two things, that moment with John makes these people think, could this be the Christ? Is this the one we've been waiting for? Now, let's keep in mind, John is an odd fellow, right? He, he, he is different. He's a man who's running around on camel hair, eating locust and honey, which I'm sure someone has turned into a diet today. And so um, he's running around. He's strange. He's preferring to live out in the desert. He's Elijah-like. He's prophet-like. He's strange. So the fact that people are already running to him makes me think like, wow, they, there was something going on that really were convincing these people it would be worth going out to presumably what could come across as a, a very strange man. And we know from other parts of the New Testament, including the Gospels, that sages, wise people, rabbis, teachers, they're not unique. There's, there's more than one. We see that in the Gospels, right? We see that in the book of Acts. There are people who are out and about making a living, if you will, by a kind of message they're preaching or a kind of thing that they're doing. But, but John's people, the people that come to John and hear this message, wonder if he's the Messiah as the people were in expectation, verse 15 says. Right? How appropriate that we're reading that, of course, in Advent as we await the coming of Jesus, I was saying to a couple people before the service, um, today On, I, I, I hopped on um, social media to see if uh, any, uh, anything needed to be posted to our Facebook page to see if anyone had uh, put something that needed approval about tonight. And so I got on, and the first thing I, I saw was uh, all the churches out there, of people I know on social media who are doing their nativity. They're doing their little pageants and children's programs tonight. It seems like this is the night to do it, the third Sunday of uh, uh, Advent. Is the Sunday to do it? And, of course, I mean, part of me wants to think, like, no, it's not time yet. Don't celebrate the arrival of Jesus. Expect it a little longer. And I even said it was Jonathan and maybe Marjorie I was talking to, I said, you know, it's not even like they're waiting until next week when it's just at least a little closer. You know, but this expectation that people had been waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah to come, And John's ministry makes them wonder if he isn't that Messiah. But John isn't. We know that. And and he himself doesn't claim to be. In fact, he points them towards the Christ, which gives John his uh, title of he who is the forerunner. Right? So he's not the Messiah, but that Messiah is coming. There is one who is coming. So in one sense, John is saying, keep your expectations high. The Messiah is yet to come. Don't lower your expectations in light of what I have preached, but instead they should raise your expectations. And then I was struck by this phrase. Verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. I thought to myself, That is crazy. This is counterintuitive evangelism right here, right? Calling people a brood of vipers, insulting their heritage, especially when they are members of the people of God. And then, like, you know, to to say, I'd rather cut this thing down and throw it into the fire, right? That's what I think, kind of a you and and your lineage. I mean, not that John You know, it's disparaging of being Israel, but just simply the fact that he's trying to get them to see that it doesn't matter again that they're related to Abraham, right? And then what do they do? They respond with questions, and he tells them to go do things. And somehow these exhortations are the good news. Again, that seems counterintuitive to me, right? This kind of truth speaking, this kind of, I don't know, holy name calling, if you will, becomes a form of the gospel, now, maybe it's not the strategy we should always use, but yet there seems to be a place where speaking the truth right, becomes an exhortation for people to respond to the good news. And so we, we need to think then about what, how is the Lord exhorting us? What are our exhortations? What are the exhortations for us that we need to hear? Right? So not only is it about maybe us going and being John the Baptist-like and And exhorting others, but what is God exhorting us to do? Right? Because this is, again, it's about conversion. It's not about a, once, a, a decision that's made at one point in time. It's about converting our lives. It's about always giving away a tunic if we have to. It's always about feeding the hungry. It's, it's always about treating others justly, financially, and from a power perspective. right? So that's the exhortation that we continue to hear as believers. We're not there yet. We are the brood of vipers that John is talking to right? But this, is, but this is Gaudete Sunday, right? This is the refreshment Sunday of Advent. This is a Sunday where we're supposed to, right, wear a rose and think happier thoughts than maybe the blue tells us to think. And that's true. You heard in the Philippians reading about rejoicing. So first and foremost, that is God's exhortation to us. Rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because the Savior has come. Or, to say it maybe a little more Advent-like, rejoice because as you await the coming of the Savior, he will arrive. And therefore, avoid anxiousness, the text tells us. Avoid anxiousness. Now, we, we know that this is a season often that creates a lot of anxiety for people. People who have you know, stresses in their family, or the lack thereof, or... Uh, it's a time of year that tends to highlight uh, the lack, the void, the absence of things. I also think it's a time of year that reveal, can reveal our shallowness and the way we approach life, and, and it, it shows other people's, perhaps, uh, generosity, which makes us confront our own lack of generosity, perhaps, right? So there's lots of reasons to be anxious, but Paul tells us to rejoice and to avoid anxiousness. How? By praying and making supplication with thanksgiving to God. Again, in one sense, prayer is always the answer, but in another sense, it's maybe not the only answer, right? So we, we do want to avoid anxiousness by praying and making supplication with thanksgiving to God. That's what Paul says. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we are exhorted to rejoice by avoiding anxiousness, by praying, and so as we think about the coming of the Messiah that we will celebrate in about nine, ten days from now, we, we respond not only with singing, not only with celebrating, with friends and family, not only by watching our favorite movies and eating a particular kind of food that we're only allowed once a year, in my case at least, and so, but instead we, we pray and we give thanks to God. We make supplication with thanksgiving to God, and that is part of what it means Right? To be people who are being converted. And then also we rejoice by being assured that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So we avoid anxiety through prayer and we can rest assured that the peace of God is what guards our hearts. And again, these are easier words to say, easier words to preach, easier words to hear than perhaps to put into play or to be assured by, if you will. But yet, we do need to be assured by the peace of God, and we we think about that with the coming of Jesus, that the coming of Jesus changes everything. And so each year, we're reminded afresh again about how Jesus comes, and it's a game-changer that he changes the course, he changes the direction that the world was headed in. And so that, that peace that can only come from God, right, we need to accept that, we need to receive it, literally we need to think of it in the terms of that, that, that little infant Jesus that was born, right, that God took on flesh and brought peace on earth and goodwill towards all people. That first and foremost, that peace that we crave is the Messiah himself. And then the the peace that we gain by praying and making supplication to that very Savior. And in doing that, again, we are caught up. We are part of a conversion experience as we ourselves become converted more and more to God. And we are caught up in the conversion of the entire world to God. Because again, that's what the incarnation has done. It has changed the very fabric of the world. And so, even though we arrived here tonight, as we do every week, a brood of vipers, and to some extent, we leave a brood of vipers, let us be mindful that we leave as a brood of vipers who have forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that that we are given the opportunity to respond to the good news that God gives us. We have an opportunity to be a brood of vipers who can rejoice and be joyful, who can pray and make supplication to God, who can rest from anxiety, and we can be assured that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. And that is the good news. So as we continue through this Advent season, let us rejoice for what God has done, not ignoring the truth of who we are as people, not ignoring the reality of what Jesus has done for us, but at the same time, knowing that we are people who are changed as a result of this work of God. And so let us rejoice and be joyful as we await the coming of the Savior. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,